Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. Good morning, church. I am really excited to have the opportunity to speak this morning. What I'm about to say, I think, has so much significance, not only for each individual sitting here this morning, but also more broadly for the church and also the communities and the world that we operate in on a daily basis. The source of seeing transformation in our personal and external worlds is not based on some radical catalyst out there that will, you know, revolutionize every institution and system that is operating in the world today but it is instead based on an internal attribute, which is grace, that if we use it strategically, can transform the places that we operate in from areas of chaos to order, from confusion to understanding, and from lack to abundance. These things, order, understanding, and abundance are things that I know for myself I need more of, and I believe that many of us do as well. I want us to first start by taking a realistic picture of what our society that we operate in looks like today. Currently, our world, and more specifically the South African context, is plagued by some of the following. South Africa exhibits the highest recorded level of unemployment in the world. The Center for Risk Analysis highlights that South Africa is in a crisis of joblessness and indicates that there are more people in this country who depend on a government grant with a handout than people who actually have jobs. Another thing that's that's really affecting our society is the record amount of fatherless homes South Africa has. Northwest University theology professor Faisal Fariks indicates that approximately 9 million children in this country grow up without a father in their home. Another thing that South Africa is really struggling with, and this is probably not a surprise, is a gender-based violence which rampages through our society and all spheres of our life. And News24 have reported that the international police consider South Africa to be the rape capital of the world. Another thing that the World Bank actually indicates is that South Africa is the most unequal country in the world today. The World Bank has ranked South Africa first in the global poverty database. Another one that really stirs my heart and, you know, really gets me a bit frustrated at times is the fact that South Africa has lost more than 1.5 trillion rand to corruption. That is the mismanagement of many of those who are in power today. And there are taxes that each and each of us actually contribute to. So if you buy something at the shop, would you pay that high that that petrol prices or that debit order goes off off on your account, that is your tax money that is actually being lost through this. So um, Stellenbosch University Center for Complex Systems, I found that corruption is actually not just, um, you know, something that many of our elite um, struggle with, but it's actually a deep-rooted issue that affects many of us. And what we are shown through these statistics is actually that South Africa and our society is a truly, truly broken and it's a fractured world that we are actually expected to operate in. And as we operate and move around this world, we have increasingly found ourselves in what I like to call a survival mode, where we are constantly on the edge, um, defending and attacking anything that seeks to bring this insecurity into our lives. 
this is truly not the approach that our God intended for us and the way that He wanted us to live. However, I do believe that there is an alternative in which we can approach the way we live our lives that doesn't depend on us always being on the defensive and waiting for some sort of external attack. As individuals, our active approach to a world that experiences this level of brokenness is of the utmost importance. And it cannot be based on the scarcity that we all will surely um, encounter from time to time. Sociologist Tim Emerzeel from the University of Amsterdam has actually conducted research. And what his research has found is that under conditions of great insecurity and volatility like we have right now, humans are actually more inclined to search for communities of faith like we have right here and follow those stable values that are encouraged in these environments. As important that, as that is, I also believe that it is of utmost importance that we do not simply facilitate those environments of grace and stability and mercy in these environments, that we actually go out and we engage to the external world with those very same principles. And while this remains a very difficult task for the current systems of the world to create such environments, I actually think that this presents an opportunity for us as the church here today. In Stellenbosch University Theology, Professor Dion Foster says that in South Africa, there are more churches in South Africa than there are municipalities, schools, clinics, feeding schemes, or even branches of political parties. The World Value Survey has actually found that South Africa displays much higher levels of trust in religious communities of faith like this and religious leaders than they do in political leaders out there or business leaders. For us, this is an indication that despite the volatility displayed in our society, the church is actually set up for an emergence unlike anything that we have seen in history before. It remains of vital importance that we gain the understanding that the church is not just some building, you know, located on some property somewhere, but that it is actually a group of people who gather under a common purpose, which is the good news of Jesus. And as our lead pastor Grant tends to remind us constantly in this church, is that we do not simply come to church on a Sunday, but we each, each as individuals, we are the church. This is reaffirmed in Corinthians 1, um, 3 verse 16, where Paul gives an important reminder to us as the church by asking this very important question. Do you not know and understand that you, the church, are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells permanently in you collectively but also individually? And as carriers of God's Spirit, we are not only expected to be Christian here on a Sunday but to also reflect that in the spaces and places we operate in throughout society. So for us to see a real transformation requires us to embody a character of righteousness since our personal faith is not merely limited to ourselves and our inner clique, but it is also a means for us to reach a world that is out there and is in desperate need of the presence of God. And we are in a highly volatile world right now. And our role is to be active participants and reflections of Jesus in the world and not just passive spectators. 
renowned Bethel Church um, senior pastor, Bill Johnson, has written a rather interesting book, which is titled Invading Babylon, The Seven Mountain Mandate. And in this book, he identifies seven spheres of influence that affect our world today. And these areas in which each of us, that these are areas in which each of us operate. And we have some sort of relation to these areas. And these areas include, firstly, the government. It includes media, the news media, as well as social media that we are constantly scrolling through on our phones. And it also includes the arts and entertainment sphere. It includes education as well, which is a very key mandate that we as Southside Church actually believe in that we need to reach because we understand that is in this area where a lot of intellectual thinking and mind and mental transformation takes place through the education of people. Another one is religion. The number six is the economy, which is the business sphere and where finance um, transactions take place. And number seven, which I probably consider to be the most important one, because it is the foundation of our society and it needs to be protected and advanced as far as possible, which is the family. In many of the cases and all of the spheres that we see, there are these areas have been corrupted and have had been perverted away from what it was initially meant to achieve in our society. Can you just imagine the world would be experiencing such great transformation if more people operating in this area, which is each of us, we were to showcase a Christ-like service and leadership. What would the world look like today if we chose to operate with the Spirit of God inside of us in these areas in which we each have influence and ultimately make use of that influence to, to in return, build the kingdom of God that represents morality and inclusivity in the world? This has the potential to minimize the chaotic environment that we previously just highlighted that we are expected to operate in daily and to lead to a greater stability for not only our households and our families, but ultimately for our communities and the external world. Therefore, these areas that we occupy present us with an opportunity to reflect a true servant leadership. A true servant leadership is a type of leadership that firstly prioritizes the needs of the people we've been called to serve over our own selfish gain and ask the question, how can I serve? In the book of Matthew 20 verse 28, Jesus showcases this type of leadership to us by saying, for even the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Another thing that this type of true um, servant leadership should, re should reflect is how we approach the world because this type of leadership approaches our world with compassion and grace and not condemnation. Servant leadership with these qualities is desperately needed and is the opposite of what we see displayed by many of those in positions of power today. The current state of the world is not something that's rather unique, but we have seen this occur throughout history and throughout different societal contexts. And this reminds me specifically of an interesting period in the Bible that is documented, and, that in, and it involves the area of Judea, which is currently made up of modern-day Israel and Palestine. And it was also the area in which Jesus himself, while or during his time on earth, operated in primarily. 
this region of Judea was going through a difficult period. Firstly, the area of Judea had been taken over by what was known as the evil Roman Empire during that time, with the leaders who were exhibiting cruelty and immense amounts of greed. Another issue that the area of Judea was struggling with was great inequality between the poor and the extremely wealthy. The vulnerable citizens and the, poor and the poor were subjected, because of the circumstances, to harsh and authoritarian treatment from not only the political elite, but also the religious elite who were known during this period as the Pharisees. These very same Pharisees were actually the ones who were constantly trying to undermine Jesus' works and his miracles, as well as his message of good news during his time here. And what we also see here is that during this period of great difficulty and oppressive conditions, the people of Judea were crying out to God. They were crying out that, Father, that they need salvation from this oppressors. And they were calling out to a Messiah. And, a Messiah, and the Messiah means um, the anointed one, or even it, in, it includes, the definition includes the liberator of the people. So essentially the people of Judea found themselves calling out and questioning, God, God, where are you? We need a liberator of the people to improve the conditions that we live in. And for a period in history that was defined by its conquest and kingdoms and nations waging war against each other, it is quite understandable that the people of Judea were actually expecting that when this Messiah enters the world stage, he would come with his sword and his incredible strong military and he would conquer the evil Roman Empire and secondly, he would simply overthrow every corrupt and unjust leader who were actually hurting and oppressing the people of God. Unfortunately, the people of Judea were about to be surprised. Finally, this Messiah, who we know as Jesus, is ultimately born and he enters the world stage. Jesus goes and he spreads the, the gospel and the good news of his arrival. He goes through the suffering of the crucifixion and ultimately the resurrection. When the disciples beat Jesus after he was resurrected, the book of Acts um, records the following interactions. And, it's, and, and it says this. So when the apostles were, were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Similarly, for us in our context, that would be equivalent to us asking, God, when are you going to come and rectify all of these societal challenges and issues we can clearly see happen on a daily basis? And Jesus' reply to these disciples were, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you and I to know, but you will receive power when, you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. For us, as people located in a specific area, for us, this would be the equivalent to asking God, when, where, where are we expected, you know, to bring the sort of restoration and reformation? And when, and where should we spread the good news of, of, your, of your coming, of your salvation? And for us, that would be, look like going into areas such as Ocean View and Sun Valley, in Cape Town, in South Africa more broadly, and in our world today. Those are what we are, that's what we expected um, to do in the areas that we operate. 
And we tend to approach God in the same way that these disciples did in this instance. We ask when all the troubles of this world will swiftly be removed and everything will be fixed in our personal and external worlds. Yet, when we look at the scripture, Jesus is telling us that the timing of the restoration of our broken worlds is in God's hands. However, this does not mean that we are merely passive spectators in this world, but we are in fact active participants. This verse is very interesting, I think, because Jesus highlights a crucial order in how we approach the world and areas that we have influence in daily. Before Jesus even speaks about going out there and speaking to the lost and spreading the gospel and being witnesses of his throughout this broken world, he states that what we should be prioritizing first is the Holy Spirit as our point of departure. Our power and our authority as people and as followers of God lies in our ability to receive the Holy Spirit because that is how we participate and that is how we our authority and our power lives in as we seek transformation in the world today. Galatians 5 verse 23, 22 to 23 perfectly describes what the characteristics of the Holy Spirit look like in our lives. And it says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in your lives. It is, a, it is love, it is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And he goes on to say that there are no laws against these things. What we see here is that Jesus' approach to a lost and broken world doesn't come with some force and mass destruction and violence, but instead, he is actually more effective through the power of the Holy Spirit, which emphasizes grace and love and peace and self-control. The book of Ephesians 6 verse 12 to 17 confirms that these, these tools are necessary for us because we are not partaking in a physical battle against in the world or in regarding the issues of the world, but we are instead engaging in a spiritual war. It reads that we are not fighting against humans, we are fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world. It continues by stating that we should actually prepare ourselves and be ready by letting the truth be like a belt around the waist and let God's justice protect you like an armor. Your desire to tell the good news about peace should be like shoes on your feet. Let your faith be like a shield and you will be able to stop all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let God's saving power be like a helmet, and for a sword, use God's message that comes from the Spirit. Unlike the chaotic world right now, our weapons are not ones that are physical and that produce violence in through anger, but instead, as Christians and as believers of God, we are expected to be speakers of truth, we are seekers of peace, and we are bringers of justice. 
Proverbs 29 verse 2 reminds us that when the righteous are in authority and become great, it is then that the people will rejoice. And when the wicked man rules, the people groan and sigh. I'd like to repeat this very important verse since it is at the core of what we should be striving for. And the Proverbs 29 verse 2 reminds us that when the righteous are in authority and become great, the people will rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan and sigh. If we can approach our world like this, we will see the fruits of the Spirit become active in our household, community, and in the nation that we have been strategically placed in. It's interesting to note that Paul writes in Romans 8 verse 12, that for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And as children of God, the characteristic of his, characteristics of His Spirit, such as self-control and peace and choosing gentleness, should not only be reflected in our lives personally, but also externally in the areas that we find ourselves operating in daily. Therefore, as I conclude, I'd like us to leave with a, I'd like to leave us with a rather very basic, yet such a powerful question. We should ask ourselves as we enter the world and interact with people daily. And the question is, how can I show love, peace, gentleness, and self-control towards those I interact with? And in the spaces and areas that I have influenced, whether it's my family, whether it's my work, or in our community, or even in my friend circle, that I encounter, how can I begin to bring transformation by not bringing judgment, and condemnation and criticism to everyone, but instead we should be bringing grace and mercy and patience and gentleness to a world that we know is broken and desperately in need of it. We don't have to look any further than the life of Jesus to see how these fruits of the Spirit can actually change the trajectory of not only history more broadly, but also our friend circle, our cliques, our communities, our families that we find. Jesus, who is an actual king, understood that reaching those far from God cannot be done through condemnation and judgment, but it has to be done through an invitation of grace.